Hello and welcome to It's Cyber Up North with me, Phil Jackman. And me, Kimberly Hendry. Hi, Kimberly. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Surviving can it, can, Easter holidays. Oh, absolutely. Can it really be a month since I last spoke about these sort of things? So are, you, uh, are your kids driving you mental? Well, they're, they're being kids. They're being young children. So, <laughs> we'll, we'll there. Are you, so are you okay? I'm, 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 yeah, I'm very good. Very busy. Very busy. Um, so before we introduce our uh, guest, special guest for today, I just wanted to make a couple of statements. The first is that uh, each of us here is speaking on behalf of ourselves rather than any organisation that we represent, which is a good thing because I've been talking about the post office for the last few weeks, <laughs> only to find out that it was the Royal Mail that I should have been talking about. So please don't uh, sue me the cheques for the post, etc. Anyway, our special guest today is Scott Wakeling, who I know from ICS. Hi, Scott. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Very good. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? How are you? Sure. Um, so I'm based in Newcastle. Um, I am a technology and security risk manager um, at a global IT service and consulting organization. Um, and for the past several years, I've been working with UK clients in the financial services sector. Um, I'm also a volunteer with ISC Squared, so the uh, nonprofit organization uh, which specializes in training and certifications for cybersecurity professionals. So my volunteering with IC Squared um, is in uh, leadership roles with the local chapter um, and also wider global volunteering around uh, chapter Excellent. activities. So and if you don't mind, I'd like to come back to IC Squared uh, a little later and the other groups. Go but there's so much going yeah. on in cybersecurity these days. Uh, but the first thing I think I really want to talk about is the, the hottest there around is. Capita. What, what's going on there, Scott, do you know? Yeah. Yeah. So um, there was a reported um, uh, breach uh, with Capita on Friday last week, I believe. Um, so that that was an outage um, of some of Capita's core internal systems. I believe the systems impacted were their Microsoft um, Active Directory or 365 environment, which impacted. Um, a, a number of their key customers in the UK or servicing those customers in the UK. Um, so there's, there's, there's limited information at the moment because it is early days in terms of, of the CAPTA incident, but the understanding at the minute um, is that they were subject to some form of ransomware uh, incident um, which impacted those particular services. Um, I think more information will come out in the next in the next week or so, um, but I believe they um, spent the majority of the weekend yeah, what, restoring those key services. Um, initially, they weren't sure whether it was a cybersecurity attack or something, just as an outage sometime in the early hours of the morning. And um, and uh, but yeah, the, the, the word in the street yeah. is that they did eventually say it was, and that they have been successfully restoring a lot of uh, activity over the over mm. the weekend. So, Kimberly, is this one that's been on your radar? Um, it has a little bit because, as you can imagine, Capita has got um, lots of different contracts, hasn't it, across government, um, lots of many services. Um, and I think, like you say, Phil, like a lot of mm. these attacks, at first it was put down to be just technical issues um, and needs some investigation to happen before they can 
um, really come out with more information. Um, but I was reading about um, the effect it's had on the um, Ministry of Defence's recruitment system, I guess because they, they also run that. Um, and so they've had to actually suspend any online applications and support services for that, which um, you can imagine the kind of data in there would be very valuable to um, nation states or different threat actors, wouldn't it really? Yeah, so they've mm-hmm. apparently got six and a half billion pounds worth of uh, government sector contracts, so 50,000 mm-hmm. employees. So it's a huge, huge organisation. But um, so that information that Kimberly's just given, Scott, I don't yeah. know whether this says anything about the way that they're structuring their, uh, their IT, because in effect, it looks like their infrastructure runs across multiple contracts. Do you think that's, that sounds, that's my assessment right there? Oh, yes, it's interesting, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I don't, I don't fully understand their infrastructure, as it were. But it looks as though that you know the impacted Microsoft three six five environment, which they they detailed in their update, um, supports um, multiple um, account environments. So you know those those staff supporting different accounts, um, it seems, uh, appear to be all using um, a, a a singular. Um, Active Directory or Active Directory infrastructure. Um, so unfortunately, it looks as though it has impacted, you know, those multiple uh, customers where the staff who are servicing those customers are using, at least in some part, systems um, that were implemented yeah. uh, last Sorry, week. Sorry, can you say something No. I think, yeah, I was just going to add up. I think that Capita obviously... Um, they, they, they were very careful in terms of the wording released after the incident and because, you know, at that point they may not have known whether it was a cyber incident, as you say. Um, so the, the wording and narrative, I think, will change over um, the next um, days or weeks as, as more information yeah, is Yeah, I think confirmed. I'd heard about um, people saying about advising employees not to attempt to log in certain accounts and certainly not try and reset any passwords. Um, I guess things like that um, using the reset services. Um, But the fact, I mean, yeah, Mm. there would be a huge target, Mm. the fact they have so many um, government contracts, not only the military, the Ministry of Defence, but lots of um, local council services as well. Um, And it just shows actually in this interconnected world um, when something's targeted, how it can really have a, a massive effect on places, can't it? And we've recently, in the past year or so, lots of councils yeah. have been targeted just specifically themselves, and it's affected um, payments, hasn't it? And mm. rent collections and lots of different local services. Yeah, so, um, I mean, uh, the yeah. thing that always upsets me when, when we have these kind of incidents, not, not apart from the fact that somebody's been attacked, is when organisations tried to hide it. But I think Capita mm-hmm. have been pretty honest here and saying that, uh, look, they're aware of something's going on. At that stage, they weren't yeah. aware. As soon as it's become known, I think um, they've, they've, come, they've come fairly clean about it. I gather they let the NCSC, the National Cyber Security Centre, know fairly yeah. early on in the in the incident. And so clearly they were sus- suspected something going on. But this is a major scalp for whoever's going to claim uh, claim responsibility yes. for this is a major hit, is it not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the the um, you know the criticality around capita and organisations who are similar 
is that you know a lot of their customers are government uh, environments or you know critical national infrastructure environments. Um, so the very so there are some very sensitive um, environments that that are under stewardship from the likes of Capita. Um, so you know, yeah, the I, think you, I think you hit the nail on the head, Scott. Now I say about uh, national infrastructure because really they are. If you've got six and a half billion pounds worth of contract and, you know, things from the Transport for London, NHS contract, mm. they pay some benefits as well. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, they, they can't be, they can't afford to go down mm. on there. They're critical national infrastructure. It's a, it's a really interesting one. Uh, so one to watch out for, I think. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Even, even the BBC use them to collect a license fee. So, you know, this will somebody be happy i suppose yeah, we'll, just have, we'll just have to keep our eyes open to see who finally claims it uh, if it is um okay some lessons to be learned yeah. i think from the but it'd be interesting to see how that comes so any more comments on that one before we move on i think as you say lessons to be learned but more so for other organizations who are looking at this news i think the message is you know it's the usual message really look at the risk for your organization you know make sure you've got appropriate controls eg if it was a ransomware incident then do you have appropriate controls is it worthwhile doing a refresh of your staff around um you know good practice in terms of opening suspicious emails etc so it's a good opportunity i think to take that conversation back to board level and say look this has happened to capita um whether we're a similar size organization or not um, if it can happen to Capita, could it happen to us? I think that's, you know, take some value from, from Capita's Anything you're taking away from this, Kimberly? No, for, well, very similar to what Scott said, it'd be interesting what they publish from their investigation from it. And like you say, so other people can hopefully learn from their possible mistakes. And the first thing comes to mind, like I work in monitoring mm-hmm. and alerting seams. And the first thing that comes to mind for me is make sure we're, prioritizing even more reviewing the office 365 logs and suspicious logins and and those kind of alerts that we see because actually this is if if people get in it can really spread and it's quite serious so like he says um so lessons to be learned from them yeah so i'm so what i'm taking away from this is there's there's two things one is you're never too big to be to be caught and uh, you know this is a a huge corporation and uh, You've, you've got to be vigilant whether you're a tiny organization or a massive organization i think there's a there's a big thing of course the bigger you are the 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 more of a temptation it is for people to try and uh, and hack into and the second thing is i think it shows that potentially we'll have to see what comes out of it but there are potentially some sort of flatness across the, the way that they've organized themselves and by getting into one part of the organization they've had access to a real swathe of their organization and so that's something that, that needs to be looked at assuming but that's what comes out of it in the end. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the one huge organisation, basically a UK-based, I think, but uh, no doubt the national to this. What went on with Silicon Valley Bank? I know it's not really a, um, a cybersecurity issue, but it just seems to cause such ripples through the uh, uh, through the sector, um, particularly around uh, a lot of startups were going to were threatened to to fold in it. Scott, have you got a view on this yeah. one? Yeah, I mean, I've obviously sort of followed that um, news article with interest, especially sort of working in the financial services sector. Um, so, you know, I think in terms of the um, Silicon Valley Bank, 
Um, you know, the headlines are really um, interesting. You know, the, the collapse of that bank, uh, I believe, was the fastest since bearings uh, back in the 1990s. Um, and, you know, there's some, there's some scary statistics behind what happened. Um, but I think of relevance to the UK tech sector, um, it was especially important for uh, the government to um, effectively um, save, save that um, scenario. Um, you know, this is where HSBC stepped in uh, with the government um, to provide that support package. Um, the reason being, you know, there, there was a, a, an incredibly high amount of UK tech business and stock um, with Silicon Valley Bank. Um, many tech firms, I believe, with cash reserves and also payroll, you know, for their staff in that bank. So it was very much critical for the UK to uh, support that um, case um, last month. Um, and, you know, is this the first bank which will see a similar um, crisis? Um, you know, the articles and uh, podcasts that I've listened to around this topic suggest not. Um, this might be one of the larger scale um, cases, but potentially, you know, this is this is the beginning of an unstable period for. Yeah, what it was fascinating though, wasn't it? To, to say it was fascinating to um, find out how many um, UK startups actually use them. Um, I definitely had no idea. So many friends who work for yeah. different tech startups in London, things like that. So many of them, their companies use them because apparently they quite in a unique way offered services mm -hmm. to tech startups that other banks wouldn't and like you say payroll services and other types of support as well yeah. so we talk about critical national interest infrastructure mm -hmm. this is almost critical startup infrastructure this bank wasn't it um definitely here in the uk it was so valuable mm -hmm. and yeah it would have had such a huge knock-on mm -hmm. effect they couldn't let it fail could they really yeah yeah, and, and going back to the earlier point about it being, you know, such a fast process from health health to death, as it were, um, you know, some of the cases I listened to around um, firms with investment in the bank, you know, they, they, they literally had hours to try and withdraw funds um, from the bank, and in some cases successful uh, partially or not at all, um, and in some cases... You know, CEOs having to pay the staff from their own personal bank until something was resolved. So you know, it it, it really impacted the um, those companies who had them. Yeah, uh, so I uh, bank runs the bank. happened. In it's a wonderful life with James Stewart. Um, if you haven't seen the film, you really ought to. It's a, a tearjerker. But then we saw yes, the queues yeah. on, on Northumberland Street outside Northern Rock yes. when that was uh, when that kicked off, and it felt very much like we were going to go into Northern something Rock. similar. Yeah. What fascinated me, though, yeah. and that's a good cybersecurity angle there. Sorry? Of course, of course, of course. Yeah, and of course, the bank, the, the, the run on the bank, yeah, yeah, yeah. physical high street, it was a digital or, run on the bank almost. The metaverse yeah. will be a, a run on the bank. Maybe. Uh, but I was really uh, fascinated by how quickly uh, the scammers used this as an opportunity to, to attack people, you know, almost instantly. There were emails saying, oh, look, the bank's yes. collapsing, you need to do something about it. Click this link and uh, still, there you go. So uh, I'm yeah. not sure whether this is going to um, to have ripples, ongoing ripples, but it just shows that I think 
perhaps too much risk for Silicon Valley Bank mm. in too many startups. It was just it was just strange. Anyway, that's probably a great place to have a break. Uh, come back in a couple of minutes. You're listening to It's Cyber Up North with Phil Jackman and Kimberly Hendry with this week's guest, Scott Wakeling. If you like this show, remember to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any future episodes. Hello and welcome back to It's Cyber North with me, Phil Jackman. Okay. I'm joined today by Kimberly Hendry and Scott Wakeling. Um, Scott, ring doorbells. That was just gagging for a uh, to be hacked, wasn't it? It was just it was just asking for trouble having the doorbells with your photographs on. Yeah, what do you think? Well, yeah, yeah, and uh, obviously there has been an, uh, an incident with with Ring, um, who I believe are. Uh, an Amazon company. Um, so, so my understanding of, of, of the um, the incident is Ring is allegedly um, or has allegedly been hacked um, by um, a hacker group called ALPHV, um, who typically are a group who extort companies with ransomware and look to leak the stolen data. So they have claimed that they have managed to reach um, ring and are currently threatening to dump uh, um, the the data online if the ransomware is not met. Um, so there's, I think the response from Amazon has suggested that that is not the case, but the uh, hacker group are countering that statement. Um, so as I understand, there's still a, a bit of a standoff in terms of the actual uh, position in terms of the breach and the risk of um, ring data being um, released yeah, into okay. the public domain. But you're right. You know, this is this is typically, I think, something that will be targeted. You know, general Internet of Things devices that most people now have in their homes uh, or you know um, at the front of their homes, as it were. Um, are going to be prime targets for um, this sort of... Uh, yeah, because there's a lot of security app. devices um, being sort of posted onto the web now to, to make it much easier to, uh, you know, you can install a device in your house, but you can use mm. the web to alert people and all sorts of things. So it, these things, well, they're a two-edged sword, aren't they? They give you both benefits and they open you up to more risk. So, Kimberly, what do you think on this? Yeah, that's interesting, the yeah. double-edged sword part of... Um... They can be alerting you, but then if they get compromised themselves, then that data is quite um, valuable. But yeah, just reading about it, how um, Ring say they, they do use end-to-end encryption. So they be able to uh, reassure their customers saying there won't be any video data that's um, like if this if this has been successfully stolen, it won't be the video data. So this will be a interesting test of whether they really do have end-to-end encryption, um, as they say they do. Um, yeah, I mean, some articles I've read have suggested that there is an element of data traveling between the ring device and the application okay. that is not encrypted. So I'm suspecting that that is what has been potentially 
um, collected and, and, and you know, potentially. So they said it was so, the yeah, video that was scripted, yeah. So that perhaps have chosen their words carefully, yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just thinking though mm. about how when um, was it LastPass, the um, password manager that was um, that was compromised, and yeah. how it exposed that maybe their their own um, encryption procedures weren't being followed and weren't very strong which i guess again is lessons learned mm. for others um maybe that's the case for ring if um it exposes maybe it's not as not end-to-end -end the way they say it is or mm. it's perceived to be that'd be another thing for people to review and if they claim end-to-end -end encryption actually where where isn't it being encrypted that's again some lessons possibly learned from there mm -hmm. i suspect that this is one that people just um Hackerscript just saw as too much of an opportunity. It was just too, it was just too out there. The sort of video doorbells was just too much of a challenge. And uh, whether they want to extract any payment or not, it, just, yeah. it was a great wheeze. That's my impression. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, so what you would do, Phil, if, if you were <laughs> if I had any talent whatsoever? Yes, that's what I might do. Of course, I wouldn't do. I must clear to, at this stage here that I wouldn't do anything uh, malicious at all. But it's just it strikes me that. So I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure what commercial value they'd get out of the data, other than the embarrassment for uh, Amazon and for Ring and, and, and that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well that's another mm. interesting. Well, there's so much going on that uh, it's not been a good day for TikTok today, has it? Uh, was it a twelve and a twelve and three quarter million pound fine for data breaches? Yeah. Uh, and then it seems to be everybody's banning them all over the place, and uh, oh, particularly yes. on, on government. Um, I'm not, never quite sure why ministers would want to be on TikTok, but, but there you go. <laughs> Kimberly, you're young. You tell us what's TikTok going on. <laughs> well, no, that's such a good point about why ministers would have it on the phone or government employees, but I guess it's another communication tool, isn't it, for people? So yeah. that's um, probably a fair few do. I just find it fascinating, this whole thing about, I guess the, the main issue is... Um, what data do they can they access from your phone from your device that you have TikTok on? They, as in the owners of, of TikTok, having such strong links to the Chinese government and all the laws that happen with Chinese companies. Even though I'm yeah. sure, do they say they're based in Singapore? Is it? Um, they try and distance themselves a lot, saying they're not they're not really controlled by the Chinese government. Mm. But I just think. Um, anything you download onto your phone, whoever makes it, I'm sure there's back doors and it's almost like, who do you want your data to go to? The Chinese government or probably the American government, um, British one. Yeah. I mean, it's a yeah. it's a tricky one, but yes, it's not a good day for TikTok otherwise. No, absolutely. The Israeli government probably have it as well because they, they'll have a device. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to be, be the way. But what, what, Scott, what do you think is the, why are people getting in their knickers in a twist about over this? I think there's a number of things going on here with TikTok, and in, in, in fairness, it's not probably just TikTok because, as can be suggested, you know, many apps who where people download to their phone, um, you know, they'll immediately scroll past all of the terms and conditions to get the app, um, and actually might not quite understand what that app is doing in the background. You know, it's free for a reason in most cases, um, and in the case of TikTok and UK government as a specific example. I believe the concern is perhaps around uh, location tracking of, you know, um, senior or 
um, significant members of parliament, as an example. Um, and obviously, we're following other governments who have who've gone through the same process in terms of looking at the risk and in, in, in a number of countries, cases banning the application on um, you know, um, corporate or um, parliamentary uh, mobile devices in this case. Um, I think in terms of yeah, the yeah. fine today, you know, that's that's a separate issue with TikTok. That was, a, you know, that was around a data protection issue for um, not managing under thirteen-year-old subscriptions as it should have. Um, the fine um, is half of what was initially put on the table, I believe, and TikTok have an opportunity, I understand, to further negotiate or challenge that um, revised fine. I think they have sixteen weeks to. Um, to to challenge that, so potentially that fine may go down more, and even twelve million pounds. You know, it's a fraction of uh, TikTok's mm. uh, income, or you know, TikTok's master or parent company. Um, so I think it's one to watch. Um, the The issue in terms of TikTok on on the phones, um, I read from a US. From a U.S. perspective, I read an interesting article, and uh, the, the quote from um, the um, the author um, I found quite interesting. So they effectively said, you know, why would you bring a Trojan horse inside our fortress? You know, why would you bring that capable or that Chinese capability into the U.S.? So you know, they're very suspicious about what TikTok is potentially um, doing in terms of data gathering. Um, you know, TikTok is probably the most popular application um, in America at the moment. Um, how do or how would they even go about banning it? Um, you know, there's technical, um, there's obviously technical options they can choose to um, prevent people downloading uh, TikTok. Um, but there are ways around that. And, you know, how do they prevent uh, or remove TikTok from all of those devices that currently have it installed, you know, until that version becomes out of date, it will remain on that phone and be used, no doubt, by um, yes, the very enthusiastic yes, users. Which, uh, not, I'm not one of them. Um, <laughs> so he wants to hear videos of me. And I really don't understand yeah. why government uh, ministers would want it, other than, I suppose, to try and attract appeal to a, a younger audience. But I think your point about Trojan horses is absolutely right, Scott. Mm -hmm. It's a bit like uh, admin passwords. Why give them out if they don't need to? You know, what I mean, keep restrict. Don't bring unnecessary risk into into yeah. government. And uh, yeah, Kimberly, anything else to add on this one before yeah. we move on? I don't know. I just wonder: is it like what is actually the story here, and why? Like you say, how many government ministers or employees do you have it on the phone? And is it more like just a political issue, really? And um especially with America. Yeah, I, I don't know. It just has a, a whiff of something strange, this story, really. Yeah, so, so another one Yeah, another one to watch out for. So it's been quite a week for uh, stories. And uh, so when we set up these, I, I think of things that we need to talk about. And then mm. next day, it's a completely different list because everything <laughs> changes so quickly. But that's really good. Okay, um, Scott, just to wrap up then, do you want to tell us a bit, a bit more about ICS and, and, and the role of these other groups you could go on? Sure, so I will, thank you. So ISC Squared, um, as, I, as I mentioned, is a global um, 
uh, information security certification group um you know there's there's roughly um over i think over around half a million members globally ic squared um and um ic squared is one of a number of security um chapter organizations you know in the region in the northeast region here we are lucky enough to have a number um so ic squared northeast chapter OWASP, ladies hacking society isaka um you know there are a number of chapters which ultimately all support the cyber community in the northeast um, it provides community i would say um, and opportunities for the various chapter members um, to participate and um, contribute to chapter events um, earn cpe credits for their respective certifications um, and also volunteer um, and, and, and gain some wider experience um, around leadership or general volunteering so you know i i represent ic squared chapter um, and it's open to ic squared members and non-members we've got about 180 members at the moment in the northeast and we run events um, throughout the year um, as do the other chapters who you know we work alongside with as well where we can um, so i think from 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 me um, you know if you work in cyber or information security in the region um, you know these are free resources and go-to uh, forums which you know are, are there to be used and you know i'd certainly encourage anybody to um uh, reach out to, to those chapters I think and, and get involved. They're a vital role in particularly the sort of technician end of the of the market and um, sort of rather than the the, the companies themselves uh, these are your groups and if you want to be part you you need to be part of it um, I think we'll come back to Ladies Hacking Society some other time, Kimberly, because uh, I know you you take a to role in that. But I'd just like to wrap up. Um, so thank you very much, uh, Kimberly. Thank you very much, Scott. Uh, and been another really interesting uh, episode of It's Cyber Up North. Thank and you. of course, thanks to Robert, who does all the stuff in the background. And look out for the next episode. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to It's Cyber Up North with Phil Jackman. Remember, if you like this show, please do subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Audio and video production was by me, Robert Campbell. This has been a Rant Out Loud production for Cyber North. <laughs>